You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Edgar, which appears to be a, a small town near Wausau. Uh, I've never been to Edgar, Wisconsin. It looks lovely, though. Population of 1,479. Uh, so nice. looks like a nice little town. I will have to stop by the ESPN affiliate there at some point. Joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden, who is doing uh, – I, I never know what affiliate I should call you because so often it's Frank Madden uh, at the ESPN, whatever random hotel Frank is at affiliate. Yeah, I'm not in a hotel, but um, my family, we did, uh, we did make a trip out to uh, the East Coast, spent some time uh, in uh, the Cape Cod area this weekend, so – um, as many people might recall, I, I used to live in Boston for about 15 years. So um, I do not miss the Boston sports scene, but I do <laughs> miss seeing my friends uh, out on the East Coast. So I um, had a chance to get together with a bunch of friends from college. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. And um, I'm uh, still on the go, but uh, we, we really need to wrap up this Buck Survivor. So, um, you know, let, I, 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 whether I'm traveling or not, um, I think it's about time we just put a bow on this one. All right, let's do it. Uh, we left off at number six, I believe. Maybe we did five. I can't remember. Um, but I believe we left off at six, and I have Eric Bledsoe at number six on my list. Um, I believe you did not have Eric Bledsoe at six. Uh, to recap my list thus far, in our Buck Survivor exercise, Henson, Delhi, Shabazz Muhammad, Pat Connaughton, Tyler Zeller, Tony Snell, DJ Wilson, Christian Wood, Dante DiVincenzo, Thon Maker, Ersan Ilyasova, Eric Bledsoe. And you, Frank? I had John Henson at 17, followed by Delavadova and Snell at 16 and 15. Basically, the, the bad contract uh, penalties being paid stiffly by that trio because um, they are certainly not worse basketball players than uh, some of the guys that came um, next. But I had Shabazz Mohammed at 14, DJ Wilson 13, uh, 12, Pat Connaughton, 11, Tyler Zeller, 10, Christian Wood, 9, Ersan Ilyasova, 8, Thon Maker, as, as you also had him there. Um, uh, and then uh, 7, I had uh, Brooke Lopez, and 6, I had Dante DiVincenzo. I, to be honest, l- let me ask you this before we get into the last one. Which ranking thus far has been the most surprising to you of mine? Like, which one jumped out at you as the one that you thought was either much higher or lower than you expected or, or believe they should be? Um, I think I probably have the biggest problem with ranking Tony Snell that low um, because I do think that he is uh, a much more useful player. And again, I only put Tony Snell at 12, um, but 
I believe putting the Delhi Henson stank on him is uh, a little bit further than I would feel uh, totally comfortable with. But knowing you the way that I know you um, and how we've recorded podcasts, I don't know that anything is necessarily all that surprising on your list. Um, and frankly, as I've thought about my list, I, I've almost wondered if I put the I put the maker DiVincenzo Wood Wilson crew like above some of those veterans on the bottom. And part of me is wondering if, you know, those guys have been not good enough uh, to deserve that if maybe they should have been even lower because, you know, hearing where you put DJ Wilson, it's like, you know what, maybe I should have put him there too uh, because there just has been so little evidence at this point that, that he is truly an NBA player. So um, thinking of my own, um, obviously that's kind of where we have some disagreements and I guess maybe I was a little bit more hopeful on DJ Wilson and put him up a little bit higher. And I'm now wondering if I should have. Yeah. It's kind of funny because, you putting DJ Wilson and like DiVincenzo sort of in the same grouping. I mean, we'll see, right? In a year, we may look back and say that's totally reasonable, right? Because DiVincenzo, we haven't seen play at this level. Wilson, we, we've barely seen play at this level, and obviously, I don't think either of us has really high expectations for him. Um, but I think I think the fact that you bunched DiVincenzo and Wilson kind of in that that grouping, you had Dante nine and Wilson eleven, whereas I had Wilson thirteen, and I had DiVincenzo six. Um, I mean, obviously, neither of us uh, <laughs> were big fans of the pick. Um, I guess I'm. I, I still see enough. Like you know, I haven't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen him be bad uh, in a Bucks uniform yet for <laughs> enough time beyond the sure. 28 minutes or whatever he he spent uh, coming off the groin injury in in Vegas, in which he obviously did look mostly bad. Um, but I will still give him some benefit of the doubt that he can be a more valuable asset than you know somebody like Ursan, who you know is potentially like i mean could drop off at any minute and um you know is is, yep. is certainly overpaid you know or at least has more commitments than, than you'd want so I'd, I'd say the dante one is probably most surprising but then again like i know neither of us is particularly high on him so um so yeah kind of not surprising but i was guess i was surprised that you were you know three spots lower on him than i was and you know i obviously view myself as somewhat of a, of a cynic when it comes to <laughs> so. anyway but we've got the top five coming up so um, I'll, I'll go with my number five first, and then why don't you go with yours? And obviously at this point, we're going to be, you know, covering a lot of the same ground. Um, and we'll probably get to the end and not have to talk about Giannis at all, since there'll be no debate about him at number one, but sure. for number five, um, and I think, I think really what five, four and three told me was that the Bucks really don't have a good asset base Yep, <laughs> because, because, um, like I have Sterling Brown five. I don't think there's necessarily a huge gap between like, I don't know, even like six through three. And none of these guys I think are, you know, anywhere close to being like really prime assets that you could build like a trade around or something like that. So uh, again, and not to say, obviously we, we are generally fans of Sterling Brown, but I'm, I'm a little nervous that I have Sterling Brown at number five in my in my asset rankings. <laughs> well, if that makes you nervous, wait till you see where I have Sterling. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have Brooke Lopez at number five. Um, I think he is an incredible value at three point whatever it is. I don't even know uh, what the final number ended up being there, but um, I just think his value there is is great, and I would never imagine. 
ever kind of uh, putting him up for an expansion draft at this point, even though I have yet to see him play a game as a Milwaukee Buck. I don't even think I've seen him put on a jersey, even for a photo shoot uh, at this point. Like I, he has done nothing with the Milwaukee Bucks, and yet I think his deal is so cheap, and I think he can be such a valuable player. I'm not expecting 20 points per game, uh, former All Star Nets Brook Lopez, but I am imagining a pretty dang good player. Um, so I would say Lopez at five. I just think there's. There's so much value to be had in his contract, even though it is for one year. There, there's a lot to like there. Uh, so that's my number five. I'll put. I have Sterling Brown at number four. I'll just say that. Um, so we can move there if you want. But I, I would agree. Like I kept, I kept trying to put Sterling Brown on the list lower. Like once we got past, once I got to twelve, where I had Tony Snell, I like had Sterling Brown in the kind of unproven guys kind of category. And then I was like, you know what? I think he's better than that. Like, I I have more confidence in him than those people. And, and again, that speaks to how much we both like Sterling Brown, or I guess uh, since they're my rankings, how much I like Sterling Brown. Um, but we, I have Sterling Brown at four. You have Sterling Brown at five. And Sterling Brown uh, is going into his second year. And he played, I'm trying to remember how many minutes last year. It wasn't many. Uh, Sterling Brown played 776 minutes last year. Appeared in 54 games. And we have him that high on our list. Like that, like you said, does not speak well for the Bucks and their asset base. No, and uh, I think it's interesting also to just look at like the competition at the shooting guard spot. So, you know, I have Brown just ahead of DiVincenzo on my board, um, but it's interesting to compare. You know, you basically have like three kind of you know wing type shooter type guys who um, figured all compete for minutes at the two in Brown, DiVincenzo, and and I'd put Pat Connaughton in there as well. I, you know, I hadn't really noticed this um, until last week when it was brought to my attention that Pat Connaughton played 82 games last year. You know, like I, I, I didn't realize how much he played. He averaged 18 minutes a game playing every game for the Blazers last year. So I, I don't know. I just sort of thought of him as like a kind of in and out of the rotation type guy. Like I didn't realize how much he actually played last year. And I mean, again, it's kind of hard to predict exactly how he's going to fit in with, with the rest of these guys. Um, again, I think if Pat Connaughton wins, you know, regular minutes in the rotation this year, it's probably going to be in part because other guys just don't really differentiate themselves as much as him playing well. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really view Connaughton as a guy who's going to like break through and have, you know, become some quality starter or something like that. Um, so it's interesting because, I mean, I have Connaughton at 12. I think you had him at 14. I mean, he's basically on the same contract as Sterling Brown. Like, they, you know, Brown will make 1.4 this year, Connaughton 1.6. They both have non-guaranteed uh, 1920 salaries. And so it's interesting because, I mean, I, again, I, I would certainly take Sterling Brown over Pat Connaughton. But, you know, Pat Connaughton isn't that much older than, than Sterling Brown, right? It's not like Pat Connaughton's like some 30-year-old guy or something like that who, you know, sort of is on the downside of his career. I mean, he's he's 25, right? Um, so he's, he's again, he's... You know, you wouldn't expect him to get worse. Um, 
he is two years older than Sterling Brown, almost exactly. Um, so again, that, that works in Sterling's favor, especially having one less year, one fewer years of, of, of service. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting because, you know, again, like Sterling Brown at, you know, four or five in our rankings versus Connaughton at 12, 14. Um, who, who knows? Like, I don't feel massive amounts of confidence that Sterling Brown can even beat out Pat Connaughton for, for major rotation minutes. So, um, so yeah, I, I would agree. I think it is a worrying sign for the Bucks that, you know, we're, we're having to kind of put so much onto Sterling Brown shoulders because, um, again, I, I mean, I like Sterling Brown, but, you know, like the second round pick last year, who, you know, had, had some really nice moments, had some, showed off some, I think some good tools. Um, but fundamentally is, is not a high ceiling guy. He's not a guy that, you know, you'd imagine being, again, his, his, his type of role can be really valuable as a three and D guy. Um, but, uh, you know, again, like, are you going to be able to package Sterling Brown and a couple other things that aren't, that are worse than Sterling Brown for a star player? I don't foresee it. Right. So, so it, it does sort of underscore like, how kind of bare the Bucks covered is, at least in terms of like young assets. So I don't know. Do you want to jump to? Um, I, I mean, I can give you my my number four since I guess uh, you've given you've given us yours. Um, well, why don't we why don't we just go into into the four three conversation? Because I went back and forth on this a fair bit. Um, you had Eric Bledsoe at six. Um, I have him at four, and. I thought long and hard about putting him at three just because, again, you worry about Eric Bledsoe longer term. Can he stay healthy? He's going to be 29 this year. How does he fit with this team? Do you want to commit long-term money to him? All those are really good, valid sort of critiques and concerns around Eric Bledsoe. Um, But he's also way better than the fourth, fifth, sixth, whoever, whoever the next best players are on this team, at least, you know, the blood. So we saw last year during the regular, during the regular season. Um, so it's tough because if you view it from the perspective of like, you know, would you rather lose Eric Bledsoe tomorrow or Malcolm Brogdon? Obviously long-term you'd hope Brogdon has, you know, more um, possibility of, of being a long-term contributor. You're just given he's younger, but you know, Malcolm Brogdon's owed a new contract next summer. Eric Bledsoe is also out a new contract next summer. Again, for reasons of like this year's cap, like it doesn't really matter that much that Bledsoe makes 15 million this year because you know you're not like in some imminent need to, to shed salary at this point anyway. Brogdon makes you know a fraction of that, about 1.5 million. Um, but in terms of just like which guy would be worse to lose in terms of impact on the team, um, I mean I think we kind of saw it last year, right? I, I think we saw that. The Bucks, you know, with with Bledsoe, were able to, you know, he, his his impact was was significant, and they missed Brogdon for sure. Um, but you know, again, what is his role kind of with this current lineup configuration? I I don't think it's as a starter. I mean, we've talked about this. I think you know we both view Price Snell as the, the most obvious guy to start at the two. Um, and, and again, maybe Malcolm, I think certainly there's a good argument for Malcolm being in the closing lineups just to have like another ball handler, another guy who can attack um, on the floor. But as far as like, you know, a guy who's going to be penciled in for 30 minutes every night, I, I just, I don't really see Malcolm Brogdon in that role. And yet he's number three on my list of assets for the Bucks. So this feels like a very, 
um, damning with faint praise type situation or really damning with no praise at all type situation because a guy that I have a lot of kind of concerns around just because I just don't know how high his ceiling is to Malcolm Brogdon. I, I ended up having him at number three in my rankings. And again, a lot of that's just because of, um, you know, he's still obviously has a, a lot of years of prime left. I don't think he necessarily has a lot of upside left given he's, you know, uh, already, I think, what is he turning 26 this season? I think. Um, so he's kind of squarely, yeah, he's turning 26 in December. He's kind of squarely in his prime. Um, and you hope he stays healthy. You know, we talked about Bledsoe and his potential injury concerns long-term. Um, Brogdon, you know, has always had these concerns around his foot. Knock on wood, nothing happens. But, um, you know, he missed a fair bit of time last year. And uh, as much as we talk about, you know, Bledsoe struggling uh, in the playoffs, um, Brogdon was also really bad in the playoffs. And he hit one huge shot, um, but he was kind of... I don't know if sneaky bad is the right word for it. Um, but, you know, in a, uh, for a team that was really kind of struggling with uh, Tony Snell's inconsistency and, and, you know, Snell seeing his minutes kind of bounce around, um, you know, it was tough because you also had, uh, you also had Malcolm Brogdon really not delivering um, consistently uh, in the playoffs either. And um, again, that, that's, that, that's, that's tough because when you're talking about your two best guards, I mean, you're my number three and four guys on the roster um, when neither of them really kind of stood out in the playoffs. I mean, you know, Brogdon and, and Bledsoe had the same true shooting percentage, 51.2%, 51.3% in the playoffs. Um, Brogdon had a 7.9 PER in the, in the playoffs. Um, you know, it, he was he was bad and um uh, you know he's younger um but um as you know our friend nate duncan said on a podcast we added with him last week you know blood so much as he's older he's never really had a like a real coach other than maybe jeff hornacek um like a good coach um brogdon obviously we'd say the same thing uh since tony bennett leaving college um so hopefully both these guys benefit from playing under mike budenholzer but um, there's, there's obviously a different, different concerns, but, but similar, similarly, you know, serious concerns about seeing both of these guys rank so highly on our, on our, you know, guys we'd want to protect list. Cause you kind of wish that those guys were like your six, seven guys, not your three, four guys. Yeah. I have, I have Brogdon at three as well. And I, I'm curious to see what Brogdon does next year, because uh, I guess I, it was interesting to me, and I knew it was true at the time, um, but I, I just remember talking with Chris Middleton this summer uh, for that feature that I had written at Bucks.com, and he said that you know I wasn't even close to the player that I, I'm supposed to be uh, in that Toronto series. Like I, I was, I couldn't plant, I couldn't move, like I couldn't cut, I couldn't, I couldn't do any of those things. And at the time. Chris Middleton said, yeah, I'm hundred percent. I'm ready to go. And, uh, at the time, I think we could all like tell that, you know, he is a hundred percent, but a hundred percent coming back from an injury is a little bit different than a hundred percent when you've had a full healthy off season to work out and strengthen whatever injury you have. So I wonder if some of that, uh, some of that played into just like the way Brogdon played in the postseason, Like if, if that did hamper him in some way, or if that is kind of what it's going to be when, you know, he gets up, up against a really tough defense because that Celtics team was the number one defense in the league. So it, maybe that is a, a concern going forward. And I guess the hope for me would be that he was still hampered by that injury and, 
he was 100%, but that 100% is different than what it would be once he is healthy for this offseason. But, I mean, I think the the thing that's really scary here is, in, I mean, now that we've talked to, about Brogdon at three, obviously one and two will be Chris and Giannis, but the fact that Chris Bledsoe Brogdon, yeah. uh, the only contracts – <laughs> this upcoming summer, like I feel like when when we do this exercise, you're you're really trying to hone in on and circle the guys that have good contracts going forward. That you're really happy with their value, and when you look up and down this roster, like I think that's probably part of the reason why. I would guess some people are going to say we overrated Sterling Brown because we saw someone on a cheap contract that actually can be helpful. And, you know, you might have a chance to resign and extend and, and actually take care of while there is so much uncertainty between Middleton, Brogdon and Bledsoe. And it, I mean, that's just a, a scary, a scary spot to be in because there is a lot of uncertainty. And again, do I think the Bucks could re-sign all three of those guys? I do. I do think that's a possibility. Do I think all of those contracts will be great contracts? I don't. I don't believe all of those will be great contracts because I don't know what that next one, what the what their next contracts look like, especially if having a new coach and having a more competent coach does help them. Because you could possibly be looking at career years for all three. And, you know, we've seen it happen before where you have a great contract year and you get even more money than maybe you should. And, you know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities this year when you think about those three guys and, and having a new coach and Mike Boonholzer that may truly be able to help them out. So I think, <laughs> and again, leave it to us to one, find some content to have in the summer and then also make it depressing content because, well, this is locked on bucks after all. So it it is just kind of scary. It's scary that a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who I think, like you said, I I don't know if he's ever a starter in this league. I, I really don't. And that isn't to say that, you know, he's a bad player. I think he's just incredibly valuable in that, kind of fill in all the gaps role where he is coming off the bench and, you know, he's your backup point guard and he's your backup shooting guard and he flows in and out of lineups and he's just always there to help out lineups. Like that's very useful, but it also makes his future very hard to project. What, what do you pay a guy like that? What, how do you build a roster knowing that you have that guy that you think is your glue guy, but also now you have to pay that glue guy, but also he has this red flagged foot that, has been a problem since he got to the league and was part of the reason why he dropped in the draft. And there's just all this kind of other stuff hanging out around him that makes him uh, scary despite being very talented and despite being on a good contract for the year. And despite being a, a very helpful player, if that's number three on our list, it is, it is a scary kind of uh, – it's a scary thought. It's a, This is a scary exercise and a sad exercise because it just shows that, you know, the, the Bucks haven't done what they needed to do. And you look at the rest of our – like I have Brooke Lopez at five. That A guy that signed for 3.5 mil for a one-year deal, like you would hope that 
a guy like that shouldn't be able to make the top five of a list like this. And he did so. And I didn't really have any second thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that had no real offers, <laughs> I mean, like yeah. in the first week or whatever of, of free agency. So, by definition, that's not a guy who has a lot of trade value, right? Um, and and he's expiring. So, yeah, by definition, that's not really. It's only really an asset insofar as what the guy produces on the court, which I think is, in fairness, a thing something that gets easily overlooked when we do these exercises. Like, what can the guy actually bring you, right? Like, I think a lot of times, you know, like like it'll be interesting to see with Bledsoe, right? Like. Bledsoe, let's just say he has a year this year, kind of like last year, and then he doesn't come back for whatever reason, right? I think a lot of people say, well, you gave up a first-round pick for nothing. Well, no, I mean, you probably don't make the playoffs last year. Arguably, you know, if, if you lose Delvedov and Brogdon and you didn't have Bledsoe, you know, if you still had Greg Monroe, I don't think you make the playoffs last year. I mean, he was that essential to, to that team. And we can say, well, that's, that's not bringing you closer to a championship. Well, I mean... I think for Giannis and this team, I think actually having, you know, success, whether it's, you know, uh, first round out, second round out, hopefully second round, at least this coming season. Um, I think that stuff is important. Um, I think, you know, puttering around and winning 38 games and, and waiting um, to get good is, is that's tough. That's, that's a tough thing. And again, I don't want to draw like kind of this binary sort of, you know, thing to say like, Oh, well they had no choice, but to make the blood so trade. But um you know, again, like the, if a guy is good for you for two years, I mean, that, that is worth something. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. And, and unfortunately, I mean, like, you know, we, we've unfortunately had to see firsthand with the Bucks first round picks. Like, I mean, the, since Jabari, you know, Jabari, Rashad Vaughn, Thon Maker, DJ Wilson, we'll see what happens to Dante Vincenzo. I mean, none of those guys have had a single, like collectively, none of those guys have probably produced as much value as Bledsoe gave you last year, which, you know, again, isn't, isn't to say that a first round pick is, is worthless because it's not right. I mean, they have value absolutely. Um, as a trade asset, they have value as, as a lottery ticket. Um, I don't want to conflate this into saying like, Oh, well, first round picks aren't worth anything. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And then there is value in having a guy who actually, you know, produces for you and, and, you know, moves the ball forward. So I think that what's, that's what makes Bledsoe such an interesting piece in all this is, um, you know, how much can he move the piece, can move the bucks forward, contribute to winning, uh, obviously last year and this year. And obviously the huge question is going to be, well, when they get to the playoffs this year, what's he going to do? Um, because I mean, he's got a ton riding on his next playoff performance financially because everyone in the league knows he, he stunk last year and didn't show up against, uh, the Celtics. Ironically, he ended up having, you know, a shockingly good game seven, which everybody forgot because they lost, but, um, but he was a guy obviously who just fell short of, of what, you know, he was doing before the playoffs and what the, the team needed him to do. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting, but I think you almost get in this weird situation where, I mean, if Bledsoe does has a similar year and let's say he's like solid in the playoffs, but not like spectacular. Um, I, I mean, I don't even know what the market is for Eric Bledsoe next summer. I don't know what the market is for a lot of guys next summer, but, um, you know, to, to go find a team that's going to give him a lot of money, um, like more than his current $15 million salary, um, for like multiple years. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It, it's tough. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've seen 
you know, guys like Jeff Teague, George Hill, who are kind of in that, like, you can talk yourself into them being above average point guards if you kind of stare at them long enough or you want really want to. Um, I would certainly question Jeff Teague's belonging in that category. George Hill last year certainly fell off a lot, but, you know, kind of his situation was really bad. But in Utah, he was when he was healthy. Um, and so it, it, it's interesting, though, because it's just like these guys, like, I mean, point guard is such a strong position now. There have been a, an influx of young point guards that have come into the league as well. So, you know, are, are there really teams out there that are going to want to invest in Eric Bledsoe as a big money signing? Or is Bledsoe going to be a guy that gets, you know, a one-year, $10 million deal? Like, is he, and, and I don't want to say he's like Rondo because they obviously don't play alike, um, but is he viewed more in that kind of like, um, we need a starter, so okay, like we'll give you some short-term leverage, but we're not giving you four years. You know, we're not giving you fifteen, twenty million dollars a year over that span. Something, nothing like that. You're not getting a sixty to eighty million dollar contract. I, I just, I don't really foresee him getting that unless he, you know, has some kind of renaissance next year. Um, and in which case, I mean, you know, again, I, I mean, I think we've assumed that that he would get paid more than Malcolm Brogdon, um, in part because Brogdon's a restricted free agent this summer, but. I have, I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect, especially because I think as much as there are going to be a lot more cap space next summer, I think teams are also, I think there are going to be some lessons that get carried over from kind of the tight cap space years where I think teams are, are going to be much more hesitant to give, you know, years to, to guys who are, are, you know, sort of have longer term question marks due to either durability, age, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously I think blood is going to fit into that, into that category. So, um, and in which case, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Because I mean, if I'm the Bucks next summer, I think there's a good chance you don't actually have, um, a, an opportunity to, to really open up meaningful cap space. I mean, maybe your, your best bet next summer is, um, I mean, you look at with all the contracts coming off the books, um, going into 2020, assuming that, you know, guys like Henson at Della Vadova are expiring after next summer, um, you know, and Ilya Sov as well maybe you just offer Eric Bledsoe like a big one-year deal and just say, you know, here's a big one-year deal to come back. We still want to have some flexibility though. And then you just punt till 2020, in which case, you know, that's the year that Giannis can get a super max. But even if you have Chris on like a $30 million extension, um, you know, let's say you give Brogdon like, I don't know, $10 million a year, you could still have a good chunk of cap space to work with that summer. Um, and in which case you kind of punt on on blood on the Bledsoe decision for a year. Uh, again, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, but I think the one upside is you you may see these. You know, if, if you need a Bledsoe like guy, I'm sure you can get a guy in that category. Um, but again, if you're trying to fill like who's your third star, that's going to take a lot of creativity. It's probably going to take some luck. Um, it's going to take some of these guys who right now we're not excited about his assets playing up their value this year and, you know, Mike Budenholzer and staff turning them into more than what they are now to try to extract more value from them down the road, either as players that you get value from on the court or as guys also that, you know, you maybe you can trade for, for something more one day. I think what's interesting with Bledsoe is that, you know, you do have to kind of think about where he is in, in terms of the rest of the league. Like there's no doubt that, Eric Bledsoe was hugely important for the Milwaukee Bucks last year, and he was hugely valuable for the Milwaukee Bucks last year. But that doesn't change the fact that if you look at points league, league he's fifteen to twenty. Yeah, I, I don't. You you do really have to think through of 
all the great point guards that are out there and, you know, where he fits into that conversation. And then, I mean, that kind of sets his market fairly or unfairly um, because, you know, maybe he's a much better player than a bunch of the shooting guards out there. I would probably say that he is. Um, But we are just in the middle of this, this kind of, at point guard heavy era like there are so many really good point guards out there that you know he may suffer from a, a market that is deflated because he just doesn't go up as high on those lists as some of those other point guards and uh you know maybe there is like you said just a you know one year bigger deal uh and even in that situation i don't even know what a big deal would look like to Eric Bledsoe, but maybe there is a a one-year deal. And if he wants to, you know, go year to year and try to get a bigger one, a better deal uh, in 2020, maybe that's a play for him, but it is, it's, it's going to be really in, I think all three of those guys next summer are just fascinating as far as contract discussions go, because, you know, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, how do you try to parse out his value? Because you're going to, you're go- if you go into a contract negotiation, you're going to be able to point to his minutes, how many games he started, how many points he scores, and tell his agent, you know what, like, he just doesn't do those things. He doesn't, he doesn't put up those type of numbers. So how can we justify paying him? whatever it be 18 15 million like how how could we ever justify doing that uh so we're gonna have to you know bump his contract down while his agent is gonna have to be like well you know he is hugely valuable and look at how the the team performs when he's out on the floor look at all the different things that he can do and all the talents that he has like that could be a, a i mean you're gonna have two very uh two very contested positions because I don't know how you, you actually try to figure out value in those situations. And obviously Chris Middleton and his value is always uh, a fun argument, uh, let's say, because there's going to be the people that say he's overrated somehow. Uh, and then there's going to be the people like me that would say he's very rated and it doesn't get enough credit. And then, you know, you got to figure out, how much to pay him. And I think a number of people, when you said 30 million before for Chris Middleton, I bet you a bunch of people did a home when they heard it, because I don't know if people think of him in that way, but that might be what it takes. Is that and then, the sound of someone spitting up their coffee? Cause I feel like that might sort some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that was kind of a spit take uh, kind of sound, but I would assume that's what some people are going to feel like here. Uh, you say that a few minutes ago. So I, uh, Man, I, I don't know with those three. It, it, it could end up being uh, a situation where they all get money because this is, uh, you know, maybe 2019 is summer of 2016 part two, um, or maybe some lessons have actually been learned and, and people are a little bit more frugal. It, even if just by a little bit, it would be hugely important because, well, there you would hope that no one's giving out a Mozgov contract. No one's giving out a Luel Dane contract. Like you're hoping none of those things happen. But if we've learned anything, like owners can't help themselves. They, they never have been able to like that. They just can't help themselves. So uh, I don't know those three, man, it's going to be a weird, interesting summer next year. For sure. And um, hopefully it'll be a, fun, interesting year before that. Um, but again, I think, you know, there's been a lot of focus on 2019 cap space. That's sort of the kind of the issue at hand. Um, but it also dovetails a bit more, which I don't think we've necessarily talked about a lot, but it also dovetails a lot with 2020 and 
again, the decision there by not just by the Bucks of what they do with guys in 2020, but what Giannis decides to do with that presumed presumptive uh, supermax extension that that he'll be able to sign in 2020. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have a more optimistic view of the Bucks. Uh, you know, assets a, a year from now. Hopefully. Chris Middleton will still be on that list. Um, and hopefully some of these other guys, especially some of these young guys will have played themselves into better positions. Um, because as of right now, I think, again, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the Bucks improving notably uh, from last season. But as we've said, I think there's still a lot of concerns just around, you know, is the asset base here high enough to, um, to compete with the likes of certainly a Boston, but um, you know, if Kawhi were to resign in Toronto, I think certainly similar questions there, uh, and and obviously Philly and, and what they're doing. If you know if Philly can get some of their secondary assets to pan out, um, obviously Philly has you know two kind of you know blue chip young stars with with Embiid and um, Simmons. I think you can probably you know still have an interesting conversation around what their third best kind of player uh, asset is at this point. Um, you know, like. Sharich versus Markel Fultz, even though he hasn't done anything. Um, I think there's probably some fun debates there that maybe also kind of lay bare that the Sixers have maybe some some semi-similar issues um, on their roster. But um, let's just say I would not want to try to compare the Bucks roster to the Celtics kind of blow for blow because after kind of Giannis and, and maybe to a lesser extent Chris, um, it starts to get kind of scary quickly and, and again the, the the gauntlet has been laid down by by boston and company and so again the bucks have some catching up to do all right uh number one on our list is Giannis. number two is chris um one question i'll ask you just so we can wrap this thing up um i don't think it's really arguable um the question i would ask though is if we did this league wide would Giannis be number one overall on this list that's a great question um I think most likely he would be. Um, and, and I think the only, I'm trying to think the only guy that you might have an argument just because of age, right? Cause I mean, the, really the, the most, the most important thing here is, you know, the guys, the guys that wouldn't be discussion for number one would be, you know, top 10 superstar type players who are under contract control, the longest who are young. Right. Um, and, the guys that and maybe LeBron and LeBron, right? Um, and I think Giannis and Anthony Davis would jump out just because they are already at such a high level right now, um, and they're still very young, right? Giannis twenty three, going on twenty four. AD twenty four, going on twenty five. Um, I think you'd probably go Giannis at this point just because. Um, he has an additional year on his contract that AD does not have. He's a year younger than than Anthony Davis. And I think he also has, ironically, because he's attained this level without actually becoming a consistent jump shooter, I think you can like interestingly turn that into he actually has, you know, more untapped upside than Anthony Davis does, where, you know, Anthony Davis is like, I don't know what Anthony Davis is gonna do to get even better. Um, and again, not to say he can't just get a little bit better at everything and continue to become even more of a monster. But um, I think Giannis would probably be the number one asset league wide, which again, we should say thank you basketball gods for giving us this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make the trade of, of getting the number one asset in the NBA for, you know, basically lighting the next four draft picks on fire um, for first round picks on fire. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't have had to do that, but 
but um, if given the choice, it's, I guess I can live with it. Um, and I believe actually the, there's a website, I think mbaassets.com. I think they actually do, they actually do rank literally every asset in the NBA, including future first round picks. And uh, I believe they moved Giannis up to number one uh, this summer or, or, you know, at the end of last season. So um, it's not just us. I think Bill Simmons also alluded to if he ever was going to write a trade value column again, he would have had, he would have Giannis at number one. So um, he's definitely in rarefied air at this point. Yeah. And I I was going to say the other thing over AD as well is the fact that he can handle the ball. um, I think is not that Anthony Davis can't do some special things, but I, I always tend to put, uh, guys that have a certain level of ball handling above bigs just because, you know, they can kind of be more involved. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, that's not true with the Pelicans because they find a million ways to find alley-oops for Anthony Davis and, you know, they can use him in that way. Um, but I do think that is another reason I would put him above Anthony Davis. And, yeah, I think I think the only guy is possibly LeBron just because he did actually make a long-term commitment to the Lakers. Like, if he would have... If he would have made like a one-year deal, I don't know if it would have been a conversation or a one-plus-one or whatever you want to call uh, LeBron just holding the entire Cavs franchise at bay, like whatever you want to call that contract, um, then I would think maybe he wouldn't be in the conversation, but that four-year deal I think puts him in it. But yeah, it's Giannis and him, and uh, I, I do... I just, it's funny to think that we just did this exercise. Um, and because of the exercise that it is, and Giannis so obviously being number one, that we did a three day podcast series and we didn't really ever talk about Giannis, which and can end up happening because he is just, I mean, he's not even. He's not even in the same conversation as all these other guys. Like uh, all these other assets you would list, and none of them would come close to Giannis. So, uh, just speaks to how great he already is, how young he is, uh, how good his contract currently is, and all of that. So, yes, Giannis number one for sure. All right, Frank, I'll let you go. Get back to vacation. Enjoy it. Uh, for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.